Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. What's up, guys? It's Anthony Unofficial. I am a retired poker player and ex-child actor. Wow. Great. <laughs> Straight Great to intro. Point. Yeah, hey. that's good. That's it. That is awesome. Well, first of all, Anthony, welcome to the podcast. This has been a long time coming. And what's cool about this is that you and I met probably 10 years. It's probably been 10 years. Yeah, I bet. 10 years ago from Lotuses. Yeah. Anthony and I both had Lotuses. We're both on lotustalk.com. We became friends from one of the car meets and just kept in touch ever since. Yeah, the good old Lotus forums. But this is a really cool podcast because I feel like you have such an interesting story and a lot of insights into the world of playing professional poker. Sure. Uh, I mean, yeah, after, well, it was really, I was acting. And, you know, you go on auditions during the week and stuff. And then I had my weekends open. I started coming to Vegas at 21. And I realized I like poker. I like the aspect of it where the psychological. And because I was an actor, uh, I sort of, you know, I could get into character. And so on the weekends, I would be playing a character just like I would be when I was auditioning or on set. And you really do. You can't be yourself, especially if you're too nice or Mm -hmm. you don't like to take money off people like if that's a problem for you don't play you got to get cutthroat with it you got to be you know f you type of thing Mm. because otherwise uh the worst thing you could do is have somebody crushed and you'll see this happen too in high stakes games where people will actually give you they'll say okay i had you crushed there let's just chop the pot which means split no way yeah so let's say you have somebody crushed like I have pocket aces, you have pocket kings pre-flop. We get all the money in, and I go, Jack can't afford, like, I I, can't, I don't want to do this to you. Uh, you couldn't afford the 50 Gs we put in each, right, pre-flop. We got it all in. Jack thought he had me with kings. Whoops. You flip the kings, <laughs> I go, got you, Jack. I got aces. And I go, I don't want to do this to you, man. Why don't we just chop the blinds? So Graham, let's say, would have been big blind here. Let's say we were playing... Uh, what are we playing? 200, 400, no limit. Graham had the big blind at 400. So what we're going to do is we're going to chop the pod. We're going to chop Graham's 400. <laughs> so you each get 200 bucks. Yeah, so we each so get just 200 bucks. Nice. Yeah, and then so Graham gets screwed over here, but I didn't hurt you. Right. But at the same time, I was only 80% to win the hand. So really, you did have a 20% chance to win. But if you think about it, you put in 50 grand, I put in 50 grand, you're way behind. Like, that's not good. That's not a good spot for you. Great spot for me. But then again, one in five times, you hit a king. Or you hit running cards to make a straight or something. Crack my aces. That's called cracking the aces. Yeah. So at the same time, I'm not taking the risk, that one in five chance. Right, that makes sense. So, you know, uh, but anyway, what was my point? Oh, you got to be cutthroat. So really, if we sat down and played and you said, I got 50 Gs, Anthony, let's do this. I would say, okay. And then if I get it all in with you, I have aces, dude, we're running it. You know, we're running it. That's the way. That's just the way I would. You play. wouldn't feel bad for me or anything. You just take it all. Not in because you knew. Up no, front. you're right. You're you, right. We yeah, agreed yeah. to this. Yeah, up yeah front. absolutely. Yeah. So 
how many times have you seen it in situations like that where the person is just devastated afterwards? Do do people ever feel bad afterwards and they're like, oh, okay, you lost, but okay, let me give you some back? Does that happen? So the true pros, uh, I mean, they know. They know the ebb and flow. They're so good that really at the end of every year, like they're up money uh, in a typical year. And that includes, let's say they went three months of red. They were in the red for three straight months. Then they maybe had a couple good months, one bad month, four or five good. You know, you'd call that running good. You run good for a while. Sometimes you run bad. And you have to be able to withstand that. I tell everybody this. Some people do ask me for advice, even though I haven't played seriously in like nine years. People will ask me. They'll say like, you know, I really I want to make a go at it. And I tell them, okay, you have to be able to withstand months. It's tough of just losing. And again, this would be, okay, let's go back to the aces against Kings hand. Let's say you're only supposed to lose that one in five times if you get it all in pre-flop. What if you lose that like, three times in a row. That's not supposed to happen. So statistically, you should be able to lose one and then win the next four times. You get the, you know, 80, 20. Mm -hmm. It could be jacks against tens, uh, you know, tens against threes. Like, I'm supposed to crush you on all those hands. But one out of five times, I'm not. But what if I lose three out of four of those in a row? You start, you go, how can I, how can I do this? Like, I'm doing everything right and I'm still losing. And that's the interesting thing about poker is you can play at a very high level. You're playing perfectly sometimes you sit down you don't make a single mistake like you look back you you lose for the session mm. you're, you, that session gone you're out and you walk away and you go i did everything right and yet i i lost and then that'll happen to you the next night and the next night and weeks can go by and you start questioning everything and so i tell you 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 know give it a try and see some people are able to just stick it out. And everybody goes broke, by the way. So I think that's part of mm. the answer to that question is you got to be ready to go broke. Uh, look at Doyle Brunson. Look at any of the greats. They'll tell you they went broke countless times. Doyle Brunson, look it up. He probably went broke like a hundred times. I mean, something unfathomable to most people. Like he's dead, dead broke, has to start from from the beginning. So that's the thing is you'll like move up in stakes as you get better, as your winnings, you know, grow, you go up in stakes. And then when you go broke, unless you can borrow money, which typically you get to know players, they'll loan you money. Mm. If they know you're good, if they know you, like, I know you would loan me, you know, a lot of money right now. So that's, <laughs> that's great. Um, but that'll help you get back too. Got it. But assuming you can't get a lot, I mean, you got to start from whatever, whatever you got, uh, you know, EDD, you got to take that and then try to grow it back. You know, whatever, whatever you yeah. got to do, you got to do. Got it. Now let's start from the very beginning because okay. you said child acting. Oh yeah. How did you get started in that? Okay, that so my friend, child friend, I grew up with this dude. He lived two blocks from me, and he was two years older than me. So he was two. I was a baby. We just now he was acting since he was a baby. So we're talking kindergarten cop, like uh, movies you've seen. Yeah. He's been in them uh, from the 90s, from the wow. 80s, 90s. So by the time I was nine, I had said, I want to do this because I saw him in commercials and everything. I thought it was so cool. So I told my dad. Now, my dad had done commercial acting in the 70s, and he had basically retired by the 80s when I was born. But he knew how to do it, get an agent and get headshots. And then you just start auditioning. So he'd take me to auditions. It just so happened I booked my first audition, which was for the role of Linus in the Peanuts gang. Now, this was just supposed to be like one they needed you, you know, for a commercial. Yeah. It was a MetLife commercial. 
So I played Linus. I went in. I just read. I, I don't know. I could read good. I could read good. And, you know, <laughs> so I read the lines and it was just it was so easy. And I had the pure like Linus is supposed to have sort of a pure voice. Now, my voice has changed. Obviously, my voice yeah. has changed. And that's when I lost the role. So I had it from nine to 15, but it turned into all kinds of stuff. It's supposed to be the commercial, but it's sort of like once you prove yourself, like if you're good on the first one, they're just like, okay, you're Linus now. Like, wow. For a while. I'm that hit now. you to be Linus because Charlie Brown is huge. huge. It's been yeah. huge for decades. Yeah. Did you, did that concept stick with you back then that you realized like this is Linus? Yo, uh, Charles Schultz was the bomb. I mean, that's when it, it, it got real. But did I, I knew of Peanut Butter, you know, at nine years old. I just sort of, I knew Charlie Brown and Snoopy and, you know, watched the movies right. and stuff. But once I met Charles Schultz and I got to be 10, 11, and he was such a cool guy, by the way. He would get all the the voice actors, yeah. all the kids would get Christmas gifts from him every year. And, like, it was just, it was he was like your grandpa. Because I didn't know either of my grandpas. Like, so uh, that was kind of cool to, like, have it. He was just the nicest guy. Wow. I mean, yeah. So... Very cool experiences, definitely at that age, like a dream job at any age, yeah. but to be making money and having so much fun at 9, 10, yeah. 11 years old. How much? Can, can you say how much you're making? It was pretty good. I mean, I did a couple movies, I guess. It, the thing, I don't even know. Like, I look back at the resume. You can IMDB me, and I yeah. go... It was so much fun. You did. They just bring you in. They'd show you the lines. You'd just read the line. I didn't even know what projects they were for. Really? Sometimes CD ROMs. Remember CD ROMs? Yeah. This is how. Yeah. This is a long time ago. So uh, commercials. The commercials are lucrative. So you're saying like, how much did I make off being Linus? Yeah. Whew. I mean, it was six figures right there. Yeah. At that age. And then of course a lot of that is put away. Like your parents legally have to put a lot of that away for now, you. Jeanette McCurdy, we had her on. She said that they only had to put away 15%. Now, the other 85% the parents can spend however they want, but they would hope that it would wind it back and like, you know, housing and stuff like this. Sounds right. I I would not disagree. I don't know the exact figure. I think my parents were cool. I think it was probably a lot higher because Mm -hmm. my parents were... They wanted me to have a college fund or, you know, the yeah. poker fund is really what it is. <laughs> but um, at nine years old, they're like, you know what? He needs a poker fund. When he's 21. He's going to go to Vegas. He's going to gamble it all. Brilliant. Yeah, they were they were great like that. But you took the initiative after seeing your neighbor doing that. And you decided that you wanted to become a voice actor. I just wanted to do it. I really wanted to be a race car driver. My mom wouldn't let my dad. So my dad raced cars too. He raced, he raced SCCA in the 70s. He was really good. And I kind of had the bug because he had a lot of cool cars. And I remember telling him that. And he just sort of, he let me down easy. And I remember the conversation where he just said, look, mom is going to let you. And I found out later it was because my mom, he knew if something happened to me. Yeah. It would have been divorced. It would have been like my mom would have never forgiven him. So mm-hmm. he was like, I don't really want to get divorced. Like, I don't want that to potentially happen. Let's try to keep Anthony a little bit safer and just let him act. To protect and, the marriage. I think it was right, really right. the marriage. Yeah. <laughs> but that He was, knew you that you were going to be good at it, but to protect the marriage. I could have been. Yeah, yeah. I could have been the next Lewis. I could yeah. have been. 
anyway, but that would have been fun. But acting was great too, I have to say. But I want to know, like, what about your voice made you so good for Linus? And this is your first audition, right? I would say it's that purity. So if you if you look at Charlie Brown, sure. he's got more of like the horse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, that horse. So I I would have never been Charlie Brown. Yeah. And that's just genetics. I mean, you, there was uh, unless you can create that but at that age they didn't want that at that age what charles schultz would look for is just like you speak right now and he'd say maybe you're good for this voice or you're just not oh so you didn't even know you're going in for linus you were just going in i think i went in this was a long time ago jack but like i think they just they gave you some lines and they had you read them and they'd be like and there was a casting director too before charles ever heard you the casting director would be like okay you sound like a linus you know and then they give you maybe more of the Linus lines mm-hmm. instead of just the generic lines. Yeah. And you read a few Linus lines and then they send it like to Charles is like, mm, okay. But it was, <laughs> it was quick. Like he made, he didn't mess around. He made a decision fast. I remember knowing like that night that I got it. Can you, can you say a Linus line in your Linus voice? Oh man, you got me. <laughs> yeah. I haven't even watched this stuff. That's the crazy thing. You didn't thing. watch it after you recorded it? No, no. I mean like in years. Oh, okay. I haven't watched this stuff in two decades. So I would love to, but it'll just be some BS that I'm creating try, right now. Try it. I don't know. <laughs> um, it would be oh, like. Oh boy, I'm Linus. Something like. Oh no, Linus God. wouldn't say that. Oh gosh, Charlie Brown. Oh my goodness. Let's go over here, Charlie Brown. It was. It was always really innocent. It's not bad. Stuff. Yeah. Very yeah. innocent character. You know, huh. totally the opposite of me right now. <laughs> Jeez. So, yeah. so how did that evolve then from Charlie Brown into other projects? So once you break into voice acting, and man, is it a tight circle. And again, this was my friend who I grew up with. Yeah. Uh, if you break and you're on a couple shows, what happens is they tend to hire people who are proven. And it's tough. There's so much talent just in L.A. The talent pool is so extreme that you've got – Here's the big circle of talented people that are out there. And then here's the one of people already working. The only way you break in from being killer talented, and if you're not killer talented, don't don't waste your time, right? So you got to be good. And then, okay, maybe give it a shot. Try to get an agent. Now, what you'll end up doing is if the agent, you know, you send in your demo, or a lot of times now, YouTube. If you can do voices and stuff, put them on YouTube and be like, here's me doing Batman. Here's me mm-hmm. doing And people will search the, search you out because they wow. may not want to pay the guy who does the spot on Batman who's already making a G every time he says a line as Batman. They may, let's say it's a low budget you know, project and they want to pay a hundred bucks. They might go on eBay and be like, that guy does pretty good Batman. How about a hundred bucks? You know, boom. And you can break in that way now. But let's, okay, let's say this is the old school way. If you get an agent, make a demo tape with all your voices or it's a commercial tape and you get an agent. Now the agent is going to take you on because maybe their top people are working so much. If you're in that, the the inner circle, you're working all the time and it, it, very lucrative. Okay, so the agent's going to say, Bob, is working every day this week. I can't even, he doesn't even have to have time to audition, but let's take on so-and-so. Okay, we'll take you on, and now you're going to get those auditions when Bob is busy, and now you got to deliver. You got to nail it, and if you're good, you're going to start you know, booking work, and now the more you book, the more proven you become, and you enter that inner circle. Mm-hmm. That's my best way of explaining voice acting. Voice acting is probably the toughest niche. I'm just going to say it. It's yeah. the toughest niche of the entertainment industry to break into and start working. But once you are working and you're proven, 
golden, a beautiful career. I bet it's because so many people are so uh, versatile with their voices. So I've seen so it's it's almost every voice actor does like seven characters per show. Oh yeah, it's been really cool to watch. Uh, even a lot of the voices of the Rugrats do multiple characters. Same with the Simpsons. Uh, they, they, they do at least five to seven, eight different characters on The Simpsons, and a small group of like four people can do voices of 30 people. There you go. And think about yeah. it. The more versatile you are, the more likely you get, you're going to get to get hired because they can have you now. You're in the booth already. They're paying the same money, and right. it's like, okay, yeah, do the other voice, and here are the other lines, here are the other lines. Why would you want to hire that out to like The Simpsons? They need 20 people, yeah. but now they don't because of and you didn't change your voice at all for Linus, or did you change it so a little bit? So I hit bit? puberty, and it was all over. How sad were you to hit puberty? Because <laughs> you, you knew that that would be like the end of your career. Did you ever sort of think that like I could delay this? Dude, it's like it hits you, and it's just, I went in, and I remember them being, um, they were a little like disappointed, sad. Oh, I don't know what emotion, no. but you could feel it in the room where they knew. And they put out the casting call. And that's it. Oh, did, what did they tell you? Did they? What, no, were there you any just never get called again. Are you serious? You know the entertainment industry. You don't get. But but you don't think that like from nine to how old were you? Fifteen. I made it to fifteen. Fifteen. So from nine to fifteen. So you've been working with them as a child for six years. And I think that last year, sorry to interrupt you, but that last year, I think I was tr- I was like fake it. You can still. Trying yeah. to raise your boy, you know? <laughs> I know I was. But you don't think that after six years of working with relatively the same group of people that they would sit you down and be like, hey, uh, your Thank voice you. is changing. Thank you. Here's a gift. <clears throat> Best of luck. Like, we have other projects. No? They were so nice, though. You can't hold that again. The entertainment industry is, you know, it's all about. Yes. You, you got to. There's no time for that. Okay. You know, I mean, really. If if we're facing facts, yeah, they sure. just got to move on. And it happens every so often when the voice actors age out. It's just a normal thing for them. It's not, you know, to you as the actor, it's it. a bigger deal. So you knew this was coming. Oh, yeah. I mean, okay. I, so now it's coming back to me. I haven't thought about this in yeah. a long time that I was faking because you don't want to lose the, the right, gig. Right, right. And I remember talking with my dad and yeah, sure. We had all those discussions. Okay, make sure you raise your, keep your voice. <laughs> oh, no. Because even when you're not doing the lines, like yeah. you wouldn't want to be going, oh, no, Charlie Brown. And then be like, cool, guys, are we done? You know, like, what <laughs> time's one? So, so you wow, got to be faking it like the whole way. And then, but they could tell at a certain point, they know, you know. I'm sure wow. a lot of voice actors go through that then. Yeah. Like the younger know. ones, like they have to fake their voice and everything. Being a crazy. child actor is a trip because now we could move into what happens with you on camera. And so some kids are cute. <laughs> this sounds yeah. really, I don't yeah. know if I'm being too blunt. They're cute when they're kids and now they're 15, 16, 18. And maybe, I mean, I'm not going to say they're not cute anymore or, you know, at, but they don't have whatever the it factor was that made them good for projects as a kid, as yeah. a child. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, so-and-so's 18 now. And you come out and they go, I remember you from whatever the movie was, Home Alone, you know. Yeah, uh, and now I don't know about you at this age, right? Who's, so, the, who's the kid from The Sixth Sense? He's the first one that comes to mind. Oof. But he's been yeah. on some stuff. He has. I, now I, he has. Yeah. yeah. So he's, get, he's getting it going yeah. again. Completely different character. 
Yeah. So it's never over. But for me, at a certain point, then I retired at like 32. I look, I stuck it out in my 20s. But I would say my career started in my 20s. You know, just Got I it. could see the work drying up. And that's not to say now perseverance is is high up on the list of what you need to succeed as an actor. That could be number one. I mean, it might be above talent. It, I don't know. Talent, talent, perseverance. Sure. And of course, like luck and timing. I mean, you figure everybody who's become something you look at like their breakthrough and you go if that movie if that project wasn't made at that point in time Mm -hmm. they may they may have never made it so you do need some luck and but i would say perseverance is key because not everybody makes it at 18 20 years not everybody makes it at 30 look at john ham uh you know so i don't know i at a certain point though i just had to say i'll move on i had a good time i did everything that you could probably hope to do really right is if you're not greedy i mean stage voice acting commercials i was on a sitcom i was in a feature film with bruce willis you got a name drop now. Can you tell us about these projects? Okay, so that movie was Bandits, 2001. Bruce Willis, Billy Bob Thornton, directed by Barry Levinson, Kate Blanchett. So, killer cast. That's a lot of fun. If you need a date movie from the early 2000s, yes, highly recommend it. With Kizik Can's Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy-on, easy-off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Um, check me out in that with Azura Sky. We're making out on the couch. Azura was great. You were uh, making I out was with 16 her? when we shot that. No, yeah. how Wait, old was she? I forget, but somewhere around there. And uh, yeah, we're making out, and Bruce was about to break out of prison. Spoiler alert, but you should still watch the movie. But I can tell you that <laughs> they break out of prison. They come into this house because they're trying to lose the cops. They pull into the garage, garage door closes, cops go by. Now they come into the house, we're making out on the couch. They walk in, and we're surprised. And okay, now go watch the movie. So wow. you were How many t- oh, forced sorry. into essentially like a makeout scene. I had to make out with Azura Sky. How many takes did, did you ever stop? Yeah, like, did no, you sorry, like, like? Can really? we do another? Barry, can we do another take? One can more we, take. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I messed up a little it. bit. Hold on. <laughs> I need to oh. get in character here. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, yeah. that light is really distracting me over there. If we could just let's wait, but like, t- let's talk more about the makeout scene. So, like, was it awkward? Like, was it comfortable? Was that the only makeout scene you've ever had? Yeah, it was the only one. It's like, it's clinical. I mean, it's rolling action and you start making out, but it's cool. I'm not, (laughs) I can't say it's bad. It's like, you know, but you don't have exactly the emotions and you're thinking about, you know, you're trying to be, stay in character. And then of course they interrupt us and then we're going to panic. And so, you know, you just try to take it second by second. But I would say there are a couple seconds where you're, you're kind of into it. Right, I mean, <laughs> as you that might be. be. Yeah, what? come on. Yeah. <laughs> so, how many times were you? Uh, did you have to do that? Uh, how many takes? Yeah, I think five or six. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Imagine if they just started casting you as the guy that makes out. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, and they would. They had playback too, so it was rolling playback. So they had music like pumping yeah. during the scene. 
because the vibes have to be right. On some of these projects, they won't. They'll just add it in later. Mm-hmm. So there's actually no music when you're shooting the scene. But we had playback, and it was Led Zeppelin, which they didn't end up using. They couldn't get it. Mm-hmm. It was going to be too much money, or they just couldn't get it. But it, it, the vibes were very uh, intense. So how great she, experience. How did she feel about that? She was great. Uh, I, I got to say, though, consummate professional. You know, I mean, uh, she was just really on point. Everybody almost that I've ever worked with, I don't have that many disaster stories about like, oh, this actor's really. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was in. That's why I said I can't ever complain. I never say oh, acting, but I never talk because how could I? She was so on point. Everybody on set, on that set, we could go into other projects if you want about some of the, the best actors I've worked with. These people are any field that you're in and you, you look up to people. I mean, I worked with some of uh, my heroes, basically. So really cool stuff. And she, she Like who? So I would have to go back to John Hamm, Mad Men. I was lucky enough to get a recurring on Mad Men in like five episodes. This guy, uh, he was there before everybody. Every day, every day I would be, I'd come in. I thought I was early. His car's there. I would leave late. His car's there. This guy never flubbed a line. And if you watched the show, you know, he had dialogue. He had some serious dialogue. He's in almost every scene of the show. And this guy, uh, just knowing his lines right away, you got to give somebody some respect. You never saw him on book. Like I never saw him looking at anything. Just bam. Locked in, and then, man, when they would say, even before rolling, like, you could just see him, he'd he'd be in character. Like, I don't know if he was method or anything, but so locked in, and the respect I have for people like that, it's unreal. Every scene that I saw him do or was lucky enough to be in, one scene got cut which was unfortunate because mm. we had a couple of lines back and forth. That would have been cool. So I was sad to see that that get cut. But the guy is, to me, the, the pinnacle of like being great at your job. He took it so seriously. And it, and it comes through. Let's face it. Mm. You watch the show. But it wasn't one of those things where like, oh, that was a lucky take. Like, oh, he was in it, that take, and they used that one. Every take I saw from him, you could have used just uh yeah i would rank him as high up as you could ever get but and it's not just talent see it's work ethic i think he has both the people who have both in any industry yeah. right those are the the top you're going to be successful what about bloopers would would those ever happen while you're recording like funny bloopers where people would start laughing they did so- love to mess around on that set if you had seen some of the blue, which I saw at, so like at rap parties, they would either do, they'd stage like a funny thing on video and show it, like for the creator, Matt Weiner. And you can find this on YouTube. Well, I haven't looked at this in years. We actually sang a song and it was supposed to be for Matt Weiner, the creator of Mad Men, just for his eyes only. That's what they told us, for his eyes only. And we sang Bye Bye Birdie. Song from the 60s. Mm-hmm. You can look this up right now. Put like Mad Men Bye Bye Birdie into YouTube. Well, not right now. We'll finish watching it. <laughs> after and then, the episode. Okay. After the episode. And you'll see me in there. And we're all singing Bye Bye Birdie. And they, they cut it all together. And then it gets put on YouTube. I'm like, wait a second. I didn't sign up for this. But luckily, I was pretty good. I think. I was all right. So they would do funny stuff like that. And I remember at one of the rap parties, they cut together a lot of bloopers. 
uh, of people running around set naked and like <laughs> it was if you saw that one now that I don't think is on YouTube but you could try to find it but uh, that was pretty wild so that's the thing about acting is it was really so much fun um, it doesn't feel like work most of the time mm-hmm. what about method actors you you mentioned that like yeah. have you had any experience with that and explain what method actors is for anyone who may not know you're basically staying in character the entire time so when you're on set uh, this would be like Christian Bale as Batman okay you don't hear him uh, he, he's not British he, you would think he's American I mean he stays in it. And that can help, by the way, when you're doing an accent or something like that. You don't want to be jumping back and forth typically mm-hmm. because now it's like action. You're like, do the Australian accent. Um, that's usually where you'll see. But some actors are all the way. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis would be a great example. I mean, and these are people where you can't argue with it, even if they're a-holes, like, because they're so in character all the time. You're like, what is it with this guy? But if it's going to resonate with an audience and if that's what's going to get you to that upper echelon that Daniel Day-Lewis, um, you know, uh, I don't know. It, it's worth it, I think. Uh, and I never did it, but I could see where the payoff could, mm-hmm. could be massive. So how did you transition from that to 21 then poker? So I started playing poker on the weekends. I would act, I would do, you know, audition everything during the week. I drive to Vegas and I tried to calculate how many trips have I made to Vegas in my life. Well, a lot of times I was going every weekend, like every weekend. So that'd be like 52 weekends a year. That's what 52 round trip drives. And I like to drive and really like to fly. So that's hundreds. I've made hundreds of trips to LA. To me, the LA to Vegas is just like, oh, la di da, here we go again. Yeah. Just uh, automatic at this point. So I started doing that and I started making more money playing poker than I made as an actor. Well, let's, let's pause there for a second. How did you learn how to play poker? At what age were you like, oh, I want to? Because I don't think you just pick up at 21 and say, hey, I'm going to play poker this weekend and then just keep going back. Yeah, I started playing online for sure. I remember Bodog. <laughs> Bodog.com was one of my favorite sites. Poker <laughs> start. Oh, man, these sites. This is back in the day. This was, uh, I don't know, it's different now, you know. Um, I, I definitely played a lot online, but I wasn't that good online, but I learned the game. My grandmother is partially responsible for my love of cards in general. Oh, okay. I used to play cards with her, and okay. I would beat her occasionally as a kid, and she would get pissed. What was I mean, she? she what was were you playing with her? her? Pinochle and these other random games that to this day I ask like my uncle. I'm like, what was that game? Yeah, and he sort of he sometimes tells me, and then I forget again. But random games, and I just always loved cards. Oh, video poker. She loved video poker, too. Okay. And she had these little, the handheld video Every poker. grandma has that, by the way. I remember going to my grandma's house, the little battery-operated ones. There it is. You would flip open. And it was okay, like, good. it was just the one game, pretty much. I, I think was worried that, nobody yeah. would know what it's talking yeah, about. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah my grandma, my make, grandma had one, too. Yeah, they like, oh, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. We should get one of those. I bet, <laughs> I bet they're on eBay. Yeah. Wow. Okay, that could be the one of the best ways to learn poker. Yeah, little, little video handheld. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. I at least knew the hands, right? I knew pair through royal flush, and everything. so that was good. And then I started playing online. It just 
organically started to happen. I can't tell you, was there like a a moment of clarity where I said, this is it? Mm. No, I built up uh, and just started playing really low stakes. I remember playing two, four limit. That means you can't raise more than $4. I mean, you know, like the big blind would be $4. I could raise to $8. Mm. So that's a good way though. If I'm laughing about that, I just mean that that's where I started. And it's kind of funny, but I wouldn't laugh at anybody if they said that's what they were going to go play. Great way to learn. Um, Get on the grind. I mean, if you think you want to take a shot at it, start grinding and, and see. That's the only way to really find out. I imagine that's similar in every career acting again if you really want to give it you you got to go for it you'll never know if you don't try so you realized then you came to vegas that you had a knack for playing this game at a certain point yeah i started realizing i was winning a lot and i was like this is cool i like the the money i like the money (laughs) uh yeah but also it's rewarding so like acting sure very rewarding i mean uh it's it's cool when you walk away and you say, man, I played killer, it's a good feeling. Even even if you aren't up that much money, you still, you know, uh, feels good about that. Uh, yeah. Self-esteem. Uh, yeah. yeah. What were some of those early games like? Do you have any stories from back then or, like, things that you tripped up about or players that you played with back then? Yeah, I played with some, some pretty uh, cool players. I'd say Min Lai is one of my favorite dudes. Uh, if you do the accent, Daniel Negreanu does the accent really well. Um, <laughs> it, he's just, yeah. he's funny. Like, uh, the guy, again, very serious, like, when he plays, but when he's not playing, like, great dude. Great dude to hang with. And um, I've actually played Bokraw with him, too, mm. which is a dangerous thing, I want to say. Like, why did I stop? If, I, if we want to jump there, why did I retire? It's because I played table games too much. And that can be dangerous because you're not you're at a disadvantage when you play tables. Yeah. The house edge will grind you out. So what ha- what would happen is a lot of times I would win big playing poker because I would have the advantage. If you play well enough, you have the advantage. You're gonna maybe win, and then you go to these tables, blackjack, roulette, craps, whatever. And now you're playing at a disadvantage. Over time, you just can't win. You're going to yep. lose. And so when that started happening to me too much, uh, I just had to wrap it up. I'm I'm bad at around casinos. Mm-hmm. So that's not to say I still don't go. It's still something that I battle with. And, uh, you know, you try to have fun. I would say set your limits, all the, the cliches you yeah, right. <laughs> know about. But, um, yeah, I played with some cool people. And, by the way, very helpful. Uh, like if you have questions, just start talking to some players, especially away from the table, uh, at the table, at the table. Hey man, is this hand good? Yeah. What do you not- think of that? Should I, <laughs> Don't do should that. I hit that. Yo, what you have? <laughs> but away from the table, you yeah. can ask. You can ask for advice yeah. and everything, and a lot of especially I was young, right? And as playing with guys, thirties, forties, and it's the typical like mentor type relationship. If you play with these dudes long enough. They will want to see you succeed. I mean, as long as you're not beating them. Yeah. You know, but still. Um, how many of those guys are full-time versus how many were just coming on a weekend, play here and there, and leave? A lot of full-time. Really? A lot of, so that's why I had to start saying, should I keep acting? 
But again, I kept saying, oh, the perseverance thing. I was like, I'll just, if I stay in it, and I can do both. And I managed to make that work pretty well. I think it was, in retrospect, probably the wrong decision. If I could do it over again, I would have bought a house out here in the late 2000s, especially when the market, I mean, you could pick stuff up for dirt cheap out here. So I could have picked something up and taken it really seriously. And gone seven days a week or six days and, and you know one day off yeah. and and just and done it as a career. I think that's where I messed up is I tried to do both. And I think maybe that's good advice for most careers. If you really want to succeed, you want to be the top in something, you got to go at it full time. You got to take it seriously. What's the mental toll that takes on you, though, to do gambling full time like that? Gambling could be one of the most stressful. I know there are a lot of stressful jobs. People are going right. to be offended right now. They're going to be sure, like, my job sure. is stressful. Yeah. But it's got to be. It's up there. We're talking top five, top ten most stressful jobs. You'd have to say professional poker, but professional yeah. gambler in general. Um, also, it's the swings. Okay, you work, let's say, a typical quote-unquote job. You're going to make money that day. When you go home at the end of the day, you've locked in that income. You mm-hmm. made that money. It's going to come to you. You're done. In poker, yeah, you made mo- Okay, oh, you just came home from the tables. You made money? What's going to happen tomorrow? You're putting that money back at risk, and you can lose. So the swings are massive. Like I said, everybody goes broke, and prepare yourself. Every, when I say everybody, mm-hmm. everybody. You're going to go broke, especially starting out. You'll never just go, oh, I started with $1,000, and I've never looked back. No, it just does not happen. How many times have you gone broke? Uh, and can you give I've us never, an example, run us through a story of one time where you weren't broke, and then you went broke, and then you got out of being broke? Okay. Well, so I've never thought of the exact number, but it has to be around five, six, seven times. You know, Not anything totally crazy. But yeah, when you go broke, it's sort of like you had a bankroll together. You know, typically in cash, cash and chips. Let's say you built it up to 50 grand. And man, that can go fast. If you're playing at high enough stakes, that can be your buy-in. You can buy in for 50 Gs. Things go bad. Again, I, I get the kings this time and Jack has his 50 Gs here and he wipes me out. And I just went broke. Because what if I brought, that was my entire bankroll that I brought here. And I'm going to get Jack. Jack said, not today. And now I just went broke, and you got to find the money somewhere. Now, so luckily, okay, if you have a second income. So with acting, I'd get residual. I still to this day get residuals from stuff like, you know, uh, A Bug's Life. Uh, I was in some stuff that still makes millions of dollars. So you get a little cut of that because you were in it. You get residuals. Mm -hmm. And so just even from things like that, and you can take that money and, again, Build it up. So you got to start then. I can't play Jack for 50K again, but I can go back to the casino and play some 2-4 and try to make a 1,000 into 10, and then I'm coming for you, Jack. I'm coming for you again, you know? And then maybe next time you you get up to 100. Uh, you get up to 200. Yeah. But now, see, you, you tend to raise the stakes, or at least I did. In general, you go up in stakes the bigger your bankroll gets. And so then the risk is there. You could have, and you're not supposed to do that, but it happens where you take your entire bankroll. Or let's say you got 100K and you play 20. That's still too high, but it happens. You'll do it. You'll convince yourself, I'm going to go for it. And now you lose that 20. You go, okay, 
Next night, another 20. Lose that. And it's those losing streaks. Mm. And it happens to everybody. And what you're hoping to do is build up enough of a bankroll to where you can withstand 20 one night, 20 the next night, 20 the next night, and then you'll have a big night. And you'll make it all back plus 20, 40. And now you're up to 100. And so you had 60, you had some bad night, whatever it was. And you're just trying to, at the end of the year, the bankroll should be bigger than it was at the beginning of the year. What's the biggest loss that you've seen? Six figures, heavy, heavy six figures. Yeah, and when you really see pros, they take it like it's just another day at the really? job. And that's how you have to be with it. Uh, I remember seeing Chris Ferguson, um, and this dude is a mathematician, I mean, genius. Mm-hmm. But that's not enough. With him, it's he's a genius and he can manage his emotions because if he didn't have that, it doesn't matter how smart you are. You have to have your emotions in check. And this dude can take, uh, you know, he can take a loss for sure and just bounces right back. It's just, it's just a bad day at work, but you know, hey. Yeah. Reminds me of a story. I, I saw this recently actually on YouTube. This came up recommended for me about the luckiest guy in Vegas. I forget who this guy's name was. Uh, we, we could put him up on the screen here. Yeah. I think he went from like zero. I think he started with like a thousand bucks, grew that to like $40 million uh-huh. over the course of a few years. Uh-huh. Uh, you would think he would stop. Yeah. Didn't stop. Went on a losing streak. Mm-hmm. Lost it all. Mm-hmm. Borrowed $10,000 from somebody else. Did it again. Yeah. He got $30 million the second time. Mm-hmm. And instead of just walking away, he kept playing it. And then he went down to zero and has not been able to recover. I'm going to say but imagine that. Yeah. Archie Karras. Maybe. Name? Hold Let's on. Look if, I, it up. if I look at that, that sounds. I Googled it and it just said Archie Karras. Boom. Yeah, that was him. Cool. Yeah, Archie Karras. Great guy. I yeah. Mean, uh, the days that saw Archie Karras turn $50 into $40 million <laughs> from 50 bucks. 50 bucks, Jack. That means if you have 50 bucks right now, we could turn that into $40 million. I can do it right now? Right now. Well, it'll take a few years. It'll take you, but you got to just keep winning. Yeah, just keep yeah, winning. But you have to think, too, like the statistical odds. It's got to happen to somebody. Someone at some point will just go on that lucky streak where everything they do, and I think it's his is just him keep he just keeps pressing and pressing, and it just worked in his favor until it didn't. What a story! Yeah, and what I think he, I think he lost it all in like two three weeks. I mean, it, it, like four years worth of work was gone like that, just in a bad losing streak. And it can happen like yeah. that when you hit a bad losing streak. Oh yeah, and he said it affected his health, unfortunately, and that's what yeah. I'm talking about when I say it's one of the most stressful. Oh yeah. You're under, I mean, because that money, you, it's, it's the, you can lose it all. It's not something else where you can either, oh, you have a bad day, you didn't make any money. How about you can lose everything you worked for for years in a day, in yeah. an hour? That's stress. Yeah. How would you say uh, gambling and all of that has affected you over the years? I've got some gray hairs, Jack. I've, uh, you know, they're starting to, yeah, it started to happen. Um, I don't know. It's sort of like if you could live another life, I'd probably have lived something, um, less dramatic. You know, 
it would be fun to have that. But you only have one like YOLO, baby, you know, <laughs> let's do this. So I figured I would just go with my passions. And um, I don't know. It's not boring. I'll tell you that much. So uh, I can't say I've had a boring life. Whatever I might complain about, that yeah. wouldn't be a complaint. So what would you say then to people who want to get in to playing professional poker? Start small. You could play online, play with friends, learn the game, read some books. Again, Doyle Brunson isn't a bad place to start. Watch some YouTube videos. Uh, Daniel Negreanu, killer, genius dude, kid poker. Um, watch YouTube videos mm. and read books and play. Play, play, play. Play your ass off. The more you play, you're always going to keep learning. So talk to any pro, and they're going to tell you they're still learning. It's a game you will never, like, master. You're never like, okay, I got it down. So uh, after a certain point, maybe move to the casino. Play with money you can afford to lose, ideally. And if you go broke, go broke with, okay, well, that was my poker bankroll. And maybe you still got some money in the bank. That would be good. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it, it happens where people are playing with literally their life set, like they're going for it. It's, it's all at risk. And when they go broke, they really go broke. You know I mean? They're begging for, why do you think you were such a good player? I think it was the acting. It was the fact that I always looked at it as I'd get into character and I knew, I knew I had to, I couldn't be Anthony, at least the Anthony I was in my early twenties because I was probably too nice. I just wasn't going to go for it. So, and I learned that early on, like, I, I'm not going to say I was winning immediately. I definitely was not. And then I realized like, okay, I got to dress the part because how I normally dress is just t-shirt and I derp around. I love to, you know, be comfortable, but dressing the part. It well, helps. Every little bit helps. Give us some examples. How do you dress? You could do the sunglasses, although you know now that's more looked upon as like who's the d bag with the, really? <laughs> the sunglasses. <laughs> I assume but, that that was like still a thing. Like you'd put on the sunglasses and the hat and the 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 headphones and just kind of chew some gum. Sure. Uh, yeah, the headphones is a thing. Yeah. Um, you know, look the part. Uh, otherwise, you're you're a marked man too out there. You don't want to look like a tourist, although. Maybe you could look like dirt. Uh, that's the other thing. Switching gears. I was always good at that. That's the term for you're playing aggressive one minute, and they look at you as this guy's raising every hand, and now you tighten up. And so I was always good at switching gears. That was definitely something that came naturally to me, and that can throw people off. Just the second they think they've got your number, you switch it up. And uh, it can throw people because you're always trying to get a read. I mean, we could go in a little bit of poker strategy. You're trying to get a read on the person. And that's where my acting background was good. I was good at reading people because emotions. I had been in acting classes since I was that young, nine, 10 years old. So I was good at managing my emotions and also throwing people off. I could make it happen to where seem natural if i looked a little stressed i could do it in such a way where i'm really not stressed i got you i got you right now you're drawing dead i got a full house i got quads on you but i'd make it seem like maybe i don't and it's subtle very subtle because the second you overdo it and you try to act stressed or whatever 
typically now that's a tell. That means that you have a big hand and you're trying to look stressed. So there's a fine line. And if you can walk that fine line, you could be a top player. So what would you do if you got a bad hand? Fold. What kind of question is that? Graham? No. Bluff. Bluff. You can, what are you talking well, about? You got Jack? options. So you got yeah. you got Jack's option yeah. and you got Graham's well, I know option. what Jack would do now. We ever play. <laughs> we, we, play you now. Yeah, we got we you. Know. All in. No. I'm all in. On I, I, I play poker. I play poker with Anthony. Sometimes you'd have the worst hands, but go all in, and you would just immediately like. I don't. I don't even want to mess with this. That's because you probably play super tight. So <laughs> knowing knowing be, who Graham is, he probably plays super tight. Well, this is great because what we're getting to is you can't yeah. be scared money. This is another great point. So that money, if that's your rent money on the line, yeah. you're screwed. You're in bad shape because also you're going to know what the decision, nine times out of 10, even as a beginning player, you're going to have that intuition. You know what the right decision is. Can you pull the trigger? You know you should go all in against Jack and make him fold. Can you do it? What if that's the rent money? You're going to say to yourself, I know I should pull the trigger because I can get him to fold. But what if, what if I'm wrong? What if, what? There's a 1% mm. chance he has, even though I'm 99% sure, and you can't do it and you fold. That means, by the way, you're playing too high state or you shouldn't be playing at all. Yeah. Don't be scared money. I have taken, I've, I've killed people. Uh, not literally, but I've killed them financially. The people you smoke are typically scared money. Whoa, uh, they're in bad shape. Because if you're not, yeah, you're going to be making all the right. You, you make all the right decisions. I'm not all the right, but like you're going to follow through on what you think is the right decision far more than they are. Have you ever seen someone lose a huge hand and then just freak out? Yeah, uh, definitely. I've been called. Every name in the book, um, probably most names in the book, by people who usually it's when you put a bad beat on someone. So a bad beat would be, want to do it one more time? I got the kings and you have the aces preflop. You're 80% to win that hand if we get all the money in preflop. Pre oh, by the way, preflop means like yeah. in Texas Hold'em. And by the way, we're talking about no limit Texas Hold'em mm. here. That's the game. That's the Cadillac of poker. That's all I really ever played. There are many other games, and a lot of the top players play a multitude of games. Raz, uh, you can, they're really cool games. But in No Limit Texas Hold'em, pre-flop means that all of us, if it's the three of us, let's say we're three-handed, which means just three of us at a table, we each get two community cards. Well, Graham, let's say, folds. I raise, Graham folds, and now it goes to you. You go all in. And I go, well, I have kings. And that would be, I have two kings because those are my two cards. You have two aces. And we get it all in. You're 80% to win with the aces. If I crack your aces, so let's say I flop a king. And the flop is the first three cards. So let's say it's king, five, deuce, and then it, the run out, like the turn and river. So there will end up being five community cards total. And let's say the turn is a three and the river is a ten. Okay, nothing much happened there other than I hit my king. So I made a set of kings, three kings, trip kings, and I cracked your aces because you only ended up, you're going to play the top five cards. Out of the total seven cards, you're going to play the five highest cards. I'm going to obviously play my three kings. You can only play your two aces. You didn't improve. So your pair of aces loses to trip king, so I beat you. You might freak out. I don't know. I don't know. How would well, you freak out? You might, yeah. uh, because it, it was like statistically very improbable. Right. Yeah. But it right. happened. 
Yeah. That that reminds me yeah. of one time where I was playing and I had I was dealt pocket queens mm-hmm. and uh, I, w- I kept raising the pot because like the flop came and I still had the best hand. They were all you know significantly lower, no chance of a straight, no chance of a flush. Yeah. And uh, I raised a little bit and then it went around. Most people folded and then it was like me and this one other guy after like uh, the turn came or whatever. Like then it was it was just me and this one other guy. Okay. And um, heads up. Yeah, and it was heads up. Okay. And I was feeling good and I raise again. Yeah. And um, so I think I'd raised three times pre pre flop, flop, and then the next, you know turn or whatever, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know so four cards four four cards are out, and then uh, what happens? I, yeah, like I said, I raised, he called, and then the final card came, and it was a king. Okay. And I was like, okay. So he rivered a king. Yeah. So I was like, okay. So what's what's happening now? Oh, no. And then I'm like, I'm like, uh, okay. And then I go a uh, check, and then he goes check. And then he turns it over and he has like King seven offsuit. And I, I, I show my cards and I was, I, I was devastated. I knew he had won too. I knew it as soon sure. as the King came. Uh-huh. And I remember I was like, Ugh, and I leaned back in my chair and I leaned back a little too far where the entire chair just fell over backwards in the dead quiet poker room. Oh. No one's talking. It's just me. And I lean back and the entire chair just topples over. How did it feel to lose a dollar? This was like no. This is pro- this was probably like two hundred fifty bucks. No. And this is when I was definitely not in the same position as I, as I am in now. Sure. Hey, and it that, hurts at any denomination. Yeah. I don't care. When you get rivered, it's a gut punch. I, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It can be brutal. Yeah. Um. What other strategies do you have? Because the one thing I learned from you that one time we played, Anthony. Like I, and it didn't hit me until the end of the game. Anthony would bet the most random amounts That's at like fun. random times. So yes. like, just let, let's say we're, we're going through. He'll throw in like fourteen dollars or like seventeen, and everyone else is doing like five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five. Mm-hmm. And he's like fourteen dollars with no limit holdem. You yeah. can do that, see? right? And I love to throw in that random, even in tournaments. Oh, we didn't discuss even turn. You can play tournaments too if you want to get into both. What's nice about tournaments is the buy-in. Let's say it's a two hundred dollar buy-in. That's all you can lose. So you have twenty grand in chips or whatever. Yeah, if you lose that twenty thousand, it's just tournament chips. You're really only losing your buy-in. And then if you can make it, obviously deep in the tournament, the payouts can be mm-hmm. huge. So we didn't even touch on that. We were playing. I was talking about cash games this whole time. That's another way, and you'll see a lot of the top players make very good incomes playing tournaments. And then so other people only play cash games. Yeah. But, yes, in so even in a tournament, I love to do that. Instead of raising to $3,000, i will raise to 3100 If I have you know some quarters in there, I'll raise to 3175 And you can also just say that, too. That can be very intimidating. So you can just, like, when it's your turn, right, instead of, a lot of people just like to put the chips in because they think maybe they're in their voice there will be a tell. Imagine if your voice uh, it halters mm-hmm. or you know oh, thirty one seventy five or you know quivering. So some people, but I was always able to be like thirty one seventy five, and I like to use that too because sometimes it makes you look like you're trying to be stronger than you actually are. I'll use it a lot of times when I'm in a when I have a big hand, so I know I've got the person crushed. And I'll just say it, but I won't say it too strong. But just the fact that you even utter the words expressing what your bet is, 
will make people think you're trying to act strong when you're really not. They'll think it's a bluff. Mm. So when I say to you, I've been quiet this whole time, and the turn hits, and I go, 3175, and I'll say it right to the dealer, too. I won't even look at you. <laughs> I'll go to the dealer so the dealer knows. And without putting the chips in, you can say it, and then you throw the chips in. But you'll say, I look right at the dealer, and I go, 3175. And I'll put it in, but I won't try to be like, 3175. Not too strong. Just the fact that I say it. And so the strategies are endless. You can play so many mind games with people, and that's the really fun part. I've even done things as weird as <laughs> when I've made a bet, and then, man, I've played some really sick stuff on people now that I think about it. So I'd make a bet, and let's say now it's your turn to act, and you're thinking about it. Like I bet we're in a tournament, and I bet – 5,200 on the turn. And now it's your turn to act. I was first tacked after the turn, mm -hmm. right? So it's on you. And now I'll just go into like, you know, deep. And let's say 5,000 is a lot of chips at this point in the tourney. So I'll be deep in thought now and I won't be looking at you. And what I'll do is if you make a motion towards your chips or something, I'll pretend. I've done this a couple times. I don't know if I'm happy about this, but. Pretend to wince or something. No, so I'll, I've thrown the cards in like I'll, like I'm folding. Like In other words, like I was bluffing and I thought you raised out of the corner of my eye, but I'll do it on purpose. And so you can do, I don't know, you know, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't like yeah. the best thing to do something sure. like this. But so you'll do what it takes to win, sure. you know, and I'll, I'll like, like fold. And now that's folding out of turn. Like you're not even allowed to right, do right, that. Right, right, right. So now it'll be like you get the cards back, and now the you'd be totally thrown off at this point. You would think like, whoa, Anthony thought I raised, and he was ready to just fold to any race. He must not have it. And then it's happened a couple times where then I've gotten the money <laughs> in because the person thought I had nothing, and I've got like a huge wow. hand. So you can get really some crazies. That's one that I'll give away. Wait a second. Wait, so you could fold before your turn. Yeah, because it's but on you. you. Yeah. So I'm not allowed to fold because I just bet 5,000. Right. 5, so I'm not allowed now to fold until you act. And But when I fold out a turn like that, the dealer goes, uh, he didn't. And I get returned the cards. Wow. And now you think that I was scared that you had raised. But you, I've only done it when I've seen, like, you would make a motion for your chips or something. And I pretend that I think you just raised. So, like, because I'm like this. And it's like you make a motion there. And I just go, like, fold. That's crazy. I've done that. Okay. I mean, that's right, a we good want one. More. We I don't want know. more. <laughs> yeah, that that's me though, being deep in character, and that just came to me. Like some of these things just happen naturally. I, it's not like I sat around and planned out like what could I really do, other than reading books. That's another reason I would say to read books. You can find out some really cool strategies that are more just like that's a rare circumstance that, that I'm talking about. That happened maybe twice in. How, I don't know how many years that I did that. But there are things that you can utilize on a day-to-day -day basis, like I talked about, switching gears. That's one of the ones I would use every day. You don't want to play aggressive the whole time. You, you're going to get, eventually, they're going to be like, this guy raises every pot. Boom, you're going to get crushed because they're going to know. The same way if you play too tight. Now they know. All they have to do is raise. You're going to fold anything but pocket aces. You can't play like that. How well do you think Dan Bolzerian plays? 
I never played with him. Yeah. I've heard about him. I've heard pros say that he was not at the level that he said he was at. Um, I don't know. I, I you know I would have loved to have at least met him at some point because I think you know cool character. Um, but I can't really speak to it. You know, um, some people probably try to talk about that they played higher stakes than they actually played. Mm. But typically, I would say you can you can tell. Just by talking to a person for how long have we been talking? I think you can yeah. tell, you know. What do you usually look for to see if they've maybe exaggerated some of their claims? Probably not knowing like terminology, um, not knowing like where to play, where to get into some of these games. Um, I feel like if you're an expert on something, you can tell when someone who isn't an expert is so. trying to BS themselves. Right. Yeah, maybe so a general oh, rule of thumb. have them teach you. Ask them for advice. I taught you a little bit. I remember mm. uh, revving you up one night yep. and just giving you some quick things like, okay, well, if you get in this situation, don't be afraid to do this or fold or do whatever. So um, if they don't know how to calculate pot odds, like if they're not good at math, that might be uh, you know, a telltale sign. I was luckily always pretty good at math, so that was good. That definitely helped me a lot. Um, but not that you have to be genius level but if you can just calculate simple things and you can find uh tips and tricks so if you don't if you're not like great at math you can do things where like all you have to do is calculate like to calculate percentages like the 80 20 or let's say we're already after the turn and i put you on a hand so you got to also be able to do that but if i put jack on a specific hand and i know that well he probably has four outs well, if we've already seen the turn, we only have the river to go, multiply by two, and you can get the percentage of, like, what he is to win the hand. So if I think he's got, like, a two-outer, like, I've got him crushed right now, but there are two kings left in the deck. have pocket kings. There are two kings left in the deck. Okay, two times, two times two is 4%. So it's, like, you know, 4% to river. And people go, how do you know it's 4% to river right there? But that's an easy way to calculate. It would be times four for after the flop. So if he's got a two outer after the flop, two times four, eight percent to win mm. with two cards to come in. It's cool. This makes me excited. I want to play poker now. Same. I'm getting hyped right now. I really want to go to the to play. I'm some poker getting now. hyped. Let's play. Let's play right now. Let's what about go. what about the uh the table games? Do you know how to count cards in blackjack? No, I never learned that. Uh, I tried to, and then I just didn't stick it out. Um, the problem is that now they've got it so... The casinos have figured it out. I mean, it's very difficult. The problem is to get the good rules, you got to be playing these games that are at least 100 minimum, if not like a Cosmo 500 minimum. You know, And uh, now the problem is you want to raise your bet, but ideally you want to be betting small until you get a count, right? Mm -hmm. So back in the day, you could play 5 or $10, and then when you get a count, you raise it up. Now you go to 500 Now the problem is you got to be playing the good games, like with the good rules. You don't want to be playing 6 to 5 blackjack or dealer hits on soft 17, and you got to look for the tables with the good rules. The tables with the good rules have high minimums and so you've got to be betting 500 a hand until you wow. get a count and now you get the count and now do you have the bankroll to okay i you know i, I have the advantage now i'm going to bet ten thousand a hand whatever it would be fifteen thousand twenty thousand because you got to make up too for all, all the, the time you were playing at 500 minimum yeah. they've got it all figured out then they're going to see you raising the bet all of a sudden you were a 500 dollars player and they're like why did this guy go to ten thousand all of a sudden by the way they can count cards too 
So you've got the floor, pit boss, the dealers, they can all count, and they do count. And by the way, they'll be quizzed on this at certain points from no. what I know. That, that's a test of like the dealers. At any point, floor can walk up and say, what's the count to the, to the dealer? Are you serious? But this doesn't, you don't hear any of this. Or you'll see the floor with the pit boss, and you'll see them talking like, like this, whatever. Well, from what I know, they will check in with everybody and say, what's the count? Especially if I raise my bet. The second I go to 10,000 a hand, everybody starts talking. You know, there's, there are things happening behind the scenes. Because guess what, ha- guess what happens? Once they think you're counting and they, they go, oh, he raises bet or whatever, shuffle. They shuffle. Wow. Once they shuffle, your count is gone. So, oh, I'm not trying to deter anybody from counting cards. It's still possible, of course, to beat the casinos. I'm just saying they've made it a lot harder. They No, is that only are they only counting cards in the high limit rooms? Because I, I doubt if you go to the ten dollar table, the person sitting there with five people like counting cards. If right? you want my opinion, yeah. Every single dealer at a legit casino. What do you want to say? Resorts World is the, the new one, but win encore. Venetian, Palazzo, Aria, Bellagio, Caesars. Go down the line, all the dealers can count. Can count, but but do they? Yes. How? Sometimes it seems like they're they're bored. Like they're just, you know, they're just doing their thing. They're so good at like it. They're, they're just so having a talk. It's they're, as natural, I would say, to good dealers as us talking English, right? Serious? Like we're not thinking about like the English language right now. We just talk. When they deal, they just have the count. Like they did Sir job, they do it every day. That's from what I know. Wow. That's insane. So is there anything that is as close to beating the casino besides poker? No. Uh no. Probably poker's poker's the one. And stay away from in general everything else. I do know there are professional sports betters who make a living at it. Mm. This is a select group of people. Some of the people who you might find out there who are telling you they've got the picks and just pay me X amount, whatever, those typically aren't the guys who are winning. They're making the money off selling selling the picks yep. and not their actual bets. And you'll notice they don't typically show you their tickets. If you don't see somebody showing you they bet on the game and now I'm giving you that pick, you bet on the game, they don't show you the ticket, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really trust them. You know? And so sports betting is possible but you got to do your research and uh, extremely difficult. There's a handful of probably people who really make good money at it. It's that difficult. So we got a Clips exclusive here just available on the Iced Coffee Hour Clips channel. And I asked this question. It was good enough to be featured here. So does it exist in a casino where you see in the movies where they take you back into the back room and there's like a dimly lit room and they put you down on a chair and there's like, you know, a few big guys behind you and they kind of shake you. Does, does that exist? Yeah, uh, this did happen to me. Um, yeah, I guess I'll just admit it. I'll tell you the full story. Okay. And technically, I committed a felony. So while I was sitting here, I was researching your amazing acting career. And I saw that it, you, you were on an episode of iCarly. That's right. Can that you tell right. us a little bit about that? Because we, we just had Jeanette McCurdy on a few episodes ago. Oh, yeah. So the episode was I stage an intervention and I was playing a geek, which uh, is in my wheelhouse. I I played the nerd a lot. And so (laughs) I remember um, I originally had one line 
And I came in. And Jeanette, by the way, so cool. Mm-hmm. Everybody on set was fun. And it was a great time. But we had rehearsal days. And so I went from one line the first day to two lines the second day. And then I picked up more. So by the time we shot the episode, I had whatever I had. Four lines. I forget how many I had. But it, I, it kept getting merged. And they were like, oh, you got new dialogue today. And I was like, where's so-and-so? And they were like, not here. Not coming mm. back. So you got to be on point. Okay, this is what I talked about. How it's good to be good. I mean, to take it that seriously. No matter how small your role is, they're looking for you to be to deliver. And the more you deliver and other people don't, you could reap the rewards. And hey, I mean, you know, sucks for that. Like, it's sort of like, it was totally out of my control. But I, at the same time, you're going great. I mean, picking up more lines. So it, it was fun. Um, yeah, it, that was a, a definitely a great set to be on. And to this day, everybody knows iCarly. So that's a mm. fun one to mention. Like if I want to mention stuff I was on, I would say that or I say even Stevens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Another good one. And one more thing, you know, I want to mention, you guys should go and check out the Stefamily vlog channel because Anthony came and we vlogged it. And he pulled up in a Ferrari F430. Now, you might have noticed, I kind of said Ferrari, a little weird. Uh, I'll say it slower. Faux-rari. There it is. Like a, like a faux. It's a fake. <laughs> Why did you say it like that? It's a replica? It's a replica. Fugazi. Yeah. <laughs> Anthony purchased a uh, fake Ferrari F430 that was built off of a, uh, what was it, Toyota Celica yeah. GCS. And it's parked in the driveway right now. It looks from the back exactly like a Ferrari 430. So if you guys want to see it, go and subscribe to the Stefamily channel in the description. You're going to see Anthony pull up in this thing. It's why it listen. It'll fool you from a <laughs> hundred feet away. It's it funny. looks exactly like a Ferrari. Everybody gets a laugh out of it. So twenty five thousand dollars. Yeah. Why? Why did you buy the Ferrari? Because you because uh, you have a real Lamborghini. You got to be eccentric. I guess I'll just own it. I'm not going to say crazy. Yeah. I'm eccentric, yeah. okay? Mm. So, yeah, everybody who owns a kick car, they're a little bit off. <laughs> but I guess, I guess, all right, I'll just accept it. So it was just for the for the lulls? Or? Yeah, just, you know, you get bored. What else are you going to do with your time? Buy a fake exotic. <laughs> So with that said, you guys, thank you so much for watching. I really appreciate it. Anthony, thank you so much thank for coming you, on Anthony. today. Thank you, guys. Embracing us with your wisdom Always good on everything. Oh, really appreciate yeah. it. Okay. Now, one big important announcement here. Public reached out to me the other day. It's big. No. They've now raised how much you can get from a free stock. From now, what? To from what? $70 all the way up to... A thousand dollars. No way! Oh my god! You can now get a stock worth all the way up to a thousand dollars. Yeah. So if you haven't done that already, you may as well use the link in the description. Oh, in order to do that, you have to use the code Graham. That's it. You use the code Graham, and that'll apply. Incredible. So enjoy the free stock. Let us know which one you get. Uh, The clips channel is also down below in the description. All of our Instagrams. All of our Instagrams. Go and follow unofficial Anthony on YouTube. He's posting the Ferrari on oh, yeah. there. Oh, yeah. And with that said, you guys, until next time. Okay. And we'll just have a conversation for an hour. Okay. Cool.